you know, I would like it to be as mainstream as acute care hospitals. I'd like for it to be no big thing to check into a behavioral health facility and to get yourself stabilized and to have a better quality of life and then to be released out back home or from wherever you came and having a better quality of life. I'd like for that stigma to go away. I'd like for there to be more access um, to mental health because, you know, you've got access to a primary care provider like it's nothing, but finding a place for behavioral health care can be somewhat challenging. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I am your host, Tricia Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. In today's episode, I interview Natalie Lamberton, CEO of Telus Harbor. Telus Harbor operates acute care behavioral health hospitals focused on healing the emotional and mental health of the geriatric population. We discuss how Telus Harbor is growing to serve both the behavioral health and any comorbidity physical health ailments of its older patient base. Serving those most vulnerable is something that comes easy to Natalie as her experience is in leading hospitals in rural areas and with underserved patients. Welcome, Natalie, to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, you have a a lot of experience uh, working as a healthcare executive running hospitals. So what attracted you to to Talis Harbor? It was an opportunity to do behavioral. I've never done behavioral before. So in my career, I've done rural, urban, suburban, for-profit, not-for-profit, post-acute, and acute, but never behavioral. And it's Jerry psych. So the elderly are near and dear to my heart. And I thought, you know, this would be a new challenge and it's a startup and it's um, slated to have several hospitals in the system. And I thought, and it's my first system position. So I thought, you know, this would be a great opportunity. And uh, Talis Harbor offers acute care and post-acute behavioral health care, correct? No. Well, we offer acute medical behavioral health care for the geriatric population. All right. So uh, do you want to give tell us the background story of Talis Harbor and how it started? Sure. Talis Harbor has been around, I believe, about two and a half years. The president comes from post-acute care, so he used to run assisted livings. He saw that there was a need to send his residents to psych facilities. And it can be dangerous sending um, geriatric elderly patients to psych facilities that are adult 18 and up. You know, you put an 87-year-old person with a homicidal, suicidal 23-year-old who's aggressive and irritated, that can be a dangerous setting to put them in. And so he saw a need to have specifically Jerry Psych to send his residents to. And um, so he started to, to decided to start some for himself. And uh, Talis Harbor brings together healthcare providers from multiple disciplines to treat patients. So how does this approach deliver better patient care? Yeah, interdisciplinary medicine is always best practice, no matter what area you're in. But it brings together uh, social workers, case managers, nurse practitioners, um, psychologists, psychiatrists, and brings them all together in an interdisciplinary setting 
so that they can treat the entire patient physically, emotionally, mentally. And so all these crafts come together and treat the patient, come up with the treatment plan. And then you've got the entire person that you're treating, not just their behavior. So um, are these providers employees of Talis Harbor or do you guys contract with private practitioners? Um, We do both. We do both, depending on what practitioner it is and what model that they want to uh, be in. But mostly we employ um, our providers. And we do, of course, have a medical director. And we've got associate medical director as well. So one's a psychiatrist and one's an actual medical MD physician. And um, because we are a medical psych facility in that, when you get 55 and older population, typically they come with comorbidities, diabetes, COPD, CHF, hypertension, things like that. So they don't just come with the primary diagnosis of a psychiatric condition, but they also come with a medical condition more than likely as well. So we can treat their comorbidities as well as taking care of their primary uh, psychiatric diagnosis. And just so that, you know, we we clarify for some people that may not be familiar, it's not just dementia. I mean, it's actual um, behavioral health issues that need to be addressed. Right. Suicidality, uh, anxiety, depression, things like that. Dementia and Alzheimer's, we know that um, in those elderly populations, sometimes they do have things like that. We can treat um, the patient who maybe have mild or moderate um, Alzheimer's and uh, dementia because they actually do have a primary psychiatric diagnosis. We take care of that primarily, and then secondarily, we can help treat the other things that are going on. And how many locations do you have, and where do you focus geographically? Right now, we um, have a location in Bullhead City, Arizona, and we are opening a location probably in the next month in Phoenix. In the next two months or so, we've got one in Las Vegas, and then we've got several other locations identified with the expectations to grow over the next five years or so. You see, a, you see a need. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. So you just completed that the facility in Bullhead City. So what drove Talis Harbor to that location? You know, um, the president um, actually had a uh, assisted living in Bullhead City, and there was an elderly gentleman that started having behavioral issues. So they had to send them, send him out of the assisted living and into a hospital setting and the hospital couldn't handle or manage him. And he really needed a psych hospital. And so an ambulance came, put him in a four point restraint, drove him four and a half hours to Phoenix and put him in a hospital there where the family couldn't travel to see him. The gentleman declined and within 30 days he had passed away. And how old was he? Um, I'm not sure how old he was. Um, Pretty elderly, I believe. But it being that had they had that uh, resource in town, had they had the family be able to visit and had all these resources and things around in Bullhead City, I think that that gentleman would have fared much, much better and had a better quality of life and a better outcome than he had. So... Um, that's kind of what triggered the president to say, you know what, I I think I'm going to build one of these. And how many beds does it have? It's got 24 bed footprint. Nice, nice size. You know, in a a lot of interviews, I I hear that, you know, behavioral health is the most needed and the most lacking, um, 
in medical care today. Do you agree? I, I do agree. And, you know, it's likely that everyone will have some episodic mental health issue in their lives. What the five things that happen to you most important in your life are life, death, marriage, divorce. There are a lot of things that happen to us that can give us episodic depression or anxiety and things like that. And um, most won't seek care in, in their lifetime, even though they're going through an episodic um, episode of a mental health issue because of um, a situation or things that they're going through. So it is much needed and the stigma is going away, but still there. So it's, it's, a, it's a touchy subject for some. So people are supposed to go through the human condition without having help is, is kind of what it, they're... It, exactly. <laughs> it is right exactly. now. Exactly. <laughs> when you have those struggling times and you need support, you're not to have it. Exactly. And that it's unfortunate. I, I can't imagine, but um, it, are the increased need for behavioral health services in geriatric patients um, occurring as a direct result of some isolation happening with, with the pandemic? Absolutely. And it's not just help happening with elderly. It's, a, it's with um, pediatric and adult as well, but specifically with elderly because they're somewhat isolated to begin with. They're older. Maybe their spouse has passed away. They're, you know, a majority or a good amount of their friends have passed away. And so it's really important for them to socialize as well. And with the pandemic and COVID happening, they're isolated becoming um, episodically depressed, having anxiety, not being able to see their loved ones or their adult children and grandchildren and things like that. And so it can be very, very difficult. Do you have like a Zoom room or some sort of ability to help them interact with their families, even if it's over uh, the computer? We don't. That's actually a great idea, a Zoom room. We do, um, of course, have call-ins. They can call their loved ones or their family can call into them and and interact and things like that. But a Zoom room is actually a great idea. <laughs> yeah, they'll probably, some of them will need help if they, you know, because they... Technologically, technolo- yes. Yeah, technology <laughs> challenge some, but with the staff there, I'm sure that they could get that going. And so what are some key drivers for Talos Harbor to, to build a new hospital? You said you're looking at uh, another one in Phoenix or you're building one in Phoenix right now. Yeah, you know, we look for, we do a, a comprehensive demographic study of the area Typically, you look for saturation of beds, of psych beds, and then the need for the service. Is it a certificate of need state? Things like that. And based upon all that information, you see if there's a need for psychiatric beds per the demographic in the area. And so you kind of go by that. That's kind of the the first steps of looking toward um, building in a particular area. And where would you like to see behavioral health going in the future? You know, I would like it to be as mainstream as acute care hospitals. I'd like for it to be no big thing to check into a behavioral health facility and to get yourself stabilized and to have a better quality of life and then to be released out back home or from wherever you came and having a better quality of life. I'd like for that stigma to go away. I'd like for there to be more access um, to mental health because, you know, you've got access to a primary care provider like it's nothing, but finding a place for behavioral health care can be somewhat challenging. They're fewer and further between. And how long does a patient typically stay? What's the average stay at your facility? The average stay for our facility is around 12 to 14 days. 
Do you see a lot of insurance support for stays at your facility? You know what? Typically so. And I'm glad to say that, that we do see a lot of insurance support. And so, you know, the, the big eight and the ones that you're used to seeing um, typically do have some sort of coverage when it comes to mental health care and mental health stays. And, you know, with the new administration, it looks like there might be some changes in the Affordable Care Act. From your perspective, what's currently working with the ACA for Talis Harbor and then what isn't working that you would like to see changed? You know, it's interesting. We do get patients who have ACA coverage, but it's, it's, it's such a complex piece of legislation to begin with. It's like 2,700 pages. I looked it up, the bill, and many lay people don't know how to access it. So I think there needs to be more education around how to obtain it and how to pick a program that's right for them to gain the coverage that they need. So it'll be interesting to, to see what happens with regards to the ACA as we move through the next several months. Maybe uh, paring that down a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and and just making it easier for the layperson to understand and and gain that coverage that they need. How many hospitals do you guys think you'll want to open? When it's all said and done, we're thinking about maybe eight to 10. Obviously, you can't discuss treatments, but what what are some of the things that Talis Harbor offers that you think, you know, sets it apart? I, I think it sets us apart that we really have our BHT behavioral health techs, our LPNs, uh, licensed practical nurses, and our RNs, registered nurses, are specifically geriatric trained. So when it comes to taking care of this elderly population and, you know, those comorbidities, like I said, or dealing with skin integrity or that mild dementia or Alzheimer's that comes along with um, their diagnosis and their behavioral issues, they're well-equipped to take care of this population specifically that you might not see in pediatric and adults. And so um, the care is a little bit more tender, in my opinion, is the way I explain it. To, to deal with this population, most people just have an affinity toward the elderly and want to see them well taken care of. It's just a special thing to see and experience. Well, obviously, probably not now, but pre-COVID and, and post-COVID, do you does the family come in at all during their treatment or, or does the family uh, pretty much just, you know, pick them up at the end of their stay? No, absolutely. Um, the family does come and visit and we encourage that. We have group meetings with the patients and things like that, but, but we also encourage the family to come in because they're an active participant in the care and, and quality of life of their family member and loved one. So we will sometimes pull them into disciplinary meetings or things like that. They'll meet with the provider or the nurse practitioner that's caring for them um, and perhaps a social worker or case manager so that we can also educate the family about what's going on with their loved one and how to better take care of them um, when they do leave us. And then when they, when they are discharged from overnight care, do they do, they do some sort of um, outpatient care and come back for sessions or treatment and before being fully released or do they just be fully released? That's a great question. So we do fully release them, but we do have case management and social work. So discharge begins at admission because it's so hard to find a place to discharge some of these patients at times if they don't come from home or an assisted living or things like that. So we do have specialized social workers and case managers that work on a place to place these patients that's appropriate when they're done being stabilized and 
their treatment plan is completed. And so that they're discharged either to an assisted living or home or a group home, whatever's appropriate for them. We've, we've got those people working on that all the while while they're there in their stay. And it's probably dependent on the support system that the patient has as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before we head into the Q&A session of this interview, I want to take a moment to promote an offer. If you are a provider and you own your own real estate and ever wondered what your options are, I invite you to schedule a 20-minute strategy session with me to discuss the benefits of a sale leaseback transaction. If you have 10 years or more left to practice or you are a large practice, a sale leaseback provides you with the proceeds now to exit the real estate and reinvest into your practice or invest elsewhere. Please go to docproperties.com forward slash free dash consultation dash Trisha dash Talbot to schedule a call. The link will be in the show notes as well if you're driving or unable to write it down. Thank you. And now we'll return back to the interview. Natalie, now we move into the uh, part of the interview where we get to know you a little bit and helps us glean a little bit of your uh, leadership style. So what was your first job? Um, Actually, my first job in healthcare was a CEO of a critical access hospital in a little town in Colorado, 20 miles from the Nebraska border with 800 people. And I think two stop signs. And I lived in a double wide trailer because it was the only thing for rent in town. And um, there were cornfields as far as I could see, it was a corn and millet um, farming town. Um, So it was a great experience. I spent two years there. Gosh, I could have written a book on all the interesting things that happened and the experiences, but it was a, I cut my teeth in critical access hospitals and really had to learn to wear multiple hats and really learn the guts of the hospitals and the operations. So it was a terrific place to start. Well, and probably to learn resourcefulness because you have, you know, limited resources and you have to make them stretch because being far away from the city center, sometimes it takes time to allocate resources. Absolutely. I learned how to grant right. I learned how to get a hold of the big city hospitals and say, hey, when you want to throw away your beds or throw something away, let me take a look at it first. Just because you want something bright and shiny and new, your old stuff is, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And I'd say, hey, let us look at it first before you throw that away. So we could perhaps use some of that stuff and got some great things from very generous hospitals in the city had to become very resourceful on how to how to get things at times. Yeah, absolutely. What would you be doing for a living if you were not a healthcare executive? So how I'm wondering how, how transparent I should be about that. So is this like if I could do anything, like be an astronaut, anything? Yeah, it, it really is open ended. <laughs> so it can be your, you know, if one day uh, question, or it could be something in the realm of reality, whatever you want, to, or you can do both. I think it. In, in the realm of reality, I think I would be p- possibly a real estate broker or something to that effect. That sounds kind of like an exciting life. But if I could be anything in the world, probably a professional salsa dancer or a professional race car driver. Oh, I like those. That's yeah. fun. <laughs> but more in reality, probably a, a, a broker developer of some sort. <laughs> of hospitals, maybe, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> So what or who are you reading or listening to right now for news, information, or inspiration? Um, right now, I'm reading a Harvard Review of books on managing self and managing others. 
And there's some great set of books that Harvard Business Review puts out that I'm reading right now. I do try to read the Wall Street Journal every day to know what's going on in the world because depending on what's going on in the world, it affects American um, healthcare. American healthcare has been said to be the most complex industry in the world. And so it really helps to know what's going on there. Yeah, that complexity, I think, is is uh, part of the reason it's so expensive. Um, but I don't know that there's going to there. Hopefully that changes. But I think it's going to be a while. Yeah, it's it's um, to move legislation is, is, is not an easy thing in this country. So right now we're just we're just under 20 percent of GDP. And it's just um, it's about three trillion and expected in the next couple of years to be four trillion dollars a year spent on health care. And compared to, you know, what would be comparable development, developed countries that do have some sort of like basic minimum health care, like the price, the average, you know, that we spend a year, which is like $10,000 per patient, they spend like 3500 to 5000 Oh, I believe it. Yeah, we're the, I think, pretty much the only developed country without um, some kind of universal health care at this point. And so it's so complex because we have so many different payers from government to commercial, you know, to private, to, we just have so many payers. It's so complex. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the question I, I, I ask is, can there be a, a basic system and still have, you know, private insurance? And I don't, I don't, I get mixed answers on that one. You know, I think I've always thought, well, at least for the last few years, that some sort of hybrid would be the best alternative for us because Americans, we like to choose what we want and we like to do what we want. So um, I think we would have to introduce some sort of universalized health care and then have options within that in some way, shape or form. Keep somebody busy for a while. <laughs> so what is uh, one thing you do every day for healthy self-care? I work out every day. I rotate between cardio and lifting, but working out. I used to run track in college eons ago, but working out is just a way for, it's cathartic for me and a way to release some of that stress. So that's something that I need to do every day. Yeah. Get your head clear. Yeah. Yeah. And then in your opinion, are leaders born or are they trained? Yes. My answer is <laughs> yes. I believe, I believe both. I believe that people, there are people that are innate leaders and they have to hone those skills. But I also believe that there are people who are really, really great at their craft and have the ability to teach. And sometimes that's a way of leadership as well. And I, I think um, it's nature and nurture. I think they can be born and they can be trained. Yeah. And I, I was just reading something else that right now there's five generations in the workforce. And so if you're faced with managing five gener different, you know, I mean, that's five different mindsets and, you know, that, that, uh, keeps leaders busy. It, it is. And we see that in nursing a lot, that five generational thing from brand new green, what behind the ear nurses to, you know, the nurse that's been there for 40 plus years and you get everything in between. And, you know, right now they have webinars and seminars on how to deal with the workforce diversity with regards to age um, because you do have all these generations with generational 
ideals and things like that. And you've got to appeal to everyone to be able to retain your workforce and learn to communicate with them and learn to have them communicate with each other um, in a meaningful in a meaningful way, because communication is key in healthcare. That's what keeps patients safe. Well, healthcare must be working if if people are living this much longer. So there's something going on. That's right. (laughs) So um, describe a patient that Talis Harbor can help. We can help patients 55 and up, someone who is going through an acute episode of suicidality to a mild episode of anxiety. So, and anything in between, and they don't have to worry about, well, I have diabetes or I have COPD or I have hypertension. Um, Can they handle that while I'm there and they're stabilizing me for my psychiatric issue? Because don't worry about the comorbidities. We've got your medical taken care of. We will deal with you medically and treat you psychologically. We just take the gamut of patients from a mild episodic um, episode to something that's, that's very difficult to treat and will take some time. Well, Natalie, thank you for this interview. It's been great. Thank you for doing what you do. It sounds like your career has been completely geared towards the, you know, the most vulnerable of our population, be it location or age. And, um, and that's, that's a huge service. Well, thank you. I love the work that we do. Well, you're making a difference and it's very impactful. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Natalie. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast and share the podcast with others. Previous episodes are available on the podcast website, providerspropertiesandperformance.com, where you can also sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.